Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. And today on the show, we're discussing the front runner, really, for the Best Picture Oscar. It's La La Land, directed by Damien Chazelle, starring uh, Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. And uh, we've seen the film, all 128 minutes of it, and we'll be discussing it with spoilers in mind. So uh, if you haven't seen the film or you don't want anything ruined, uh, this is not the podcast for you. However, check out the film, then come back and check out the podcast. Lloyd, uh, we've we've covered Greece recently, as well as uh, we did cover Rock of Ages, but we haven't done a lot of musicals on the does on the Pitch show. Perfect um, count as one? I mean, I guess it does. We did Pitch Perfect too. You haven't been a fan traditionally of musicals, no, though. not not really. Um, I'll get into that a bit, but yeah, I, I haven't followed through with that genre at all. Do you think that's uh, something in your past, or <laughs> is is it just you hate music? What's, what's uh, up? Well. I'll I'll say that I was a big fan of the uh, Singing in the Rain. I think that's one of the best musicals I've ever seen. I've seen seen that film a couple of times now, and I do like Twenty Minutes of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, but uh, and I really do like Moonwalker. I think uh, that's a really good one as well with Michael Jackson. I've never seen it. You've never seen it, but you have seen Smooth Criminal. The clip. Yeah, the 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 clip. That's in. That's from the movie. Right, yeah, I've seen the clip for for Smooth Criminal where he's like walking and the floor is lighting up. I've seen that, but not the. That actual might be movie. Billie Jean, actually. Okay, well, it's either. where he goes into a nightclub and he starts um, dancing. Then they all look like you know, gangsters from the forties. It, it's okay. fantastic. It's one of the best dance sequences I think I've ever put to movies. Uh, what I find interesting about musicals is the best part about them is the dance sequences and like the best fight sequences in an action movie i think the choreography has to match the characters and the emotion uh, of the story pretty much like what you see in a fight scene in a movie it's an expression of the character it could be fear and revenge like in the climactic moments of kickboxer or it could be pure heart like in um the rocky movies and i think good um dancing sequences in a movie is an extension of the character but that said a a lot of musicals my brain just usually shuts uh, you know tunes out like a really dull car chase like in that movie we recently watched um jason bourne all the car chases and chase sequences and that my brain was tuning out like i just found it so boring and i did try to watch uh, a big Bollywood movie recently, like the last couple of months, and I really struggled through it. Just it looked amazing, but all the dance sequences and musical sequences just seemed to stretch on and on for me, and I, I was just tuning out. And a lot of musicals for me do that. I, I just tend to tune out. But this one, La La Land, I was really blown away. The reason I went to see it was because of the interest of seven Golden Globe nominations, and. Um, Everybody's saying it's, you know, the film of the year, the feel-good film of the year, you know. I mean, I can read that in on a website or see it in a TV ad, but that doesn't sell it to me. One of the things was Tess really wanted to see the film. My wife uh, basically said, it looks like a great night out, you know, rom-com, musical, whatever, we'll enjoy it. So I went in with fairly low expectations and was blown away because of, you know, <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting in for, really. For me, it is kind of one of the best films of the year. I mean, we're now straddling 2016, 2017, Lloyd, and 
I mean, what's been your favourite film of the year, if not La La I've been Land? thinking a lot about that going into this podcast. Can I say Spotlight or is that a 2015 film? Technically, I think it's last year's. It's 2015. Oh, then I, I don't know. I'd have to really think about that. But La La Land would probably be up there for sure. See, the other two for me that really feature were Deadpool and The Lobster. Both of those, which we covered on the podcast, were, were my favourite films of this year. And now I'm kind of, you know, putting La La Land in that same category. I think Damien Chazelle has done an amazing job here. And, uh, you know, like I, I can't see any other films beating this for Best Picture. It feels like what the artist was doing a few years ago that is nostalgic enough and nice enough and where the world is today. What the, I think Damien Chazelle has done is captured a feeling. A lot of that is to do with the chemistry between Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling. And a lot of it, I think, is to do with the ending, which we'll get to, but it really reminded me of Cinema Paradiso or um, uh, the entirety of, you know, the what-ifs of your life, you know, captured in a in a sequence. Um, yeah, look, I mean, f- straight from the beginning, they're on that highway scene, Lloyd, you know, all stuck in traffic. That is a massive setup all in one take. I think, yeah, yeah, I was about to say there was no cut in that. That was uh, t- a touch of evil-esque. Yeah, and I mean, the thing is, most of the songs are all in one take, aren't they? Yeah. Which is an amazing choice, besides the fact he's shooting with CinemaScope. I suppose, like, generally loved the film. Did you have anything you wanted to pick apart from it? Like, um, oh, Do you want to get into the bad parts right now? <laughs> yeah, let's get those out of the way so we can just enjoy the good stuff. <laughs> well, I, I think one of the great things about La La Land was that it was really funny. Uh, it's a hilarious film. As you said, with Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone, they just have great chemistry together, and I love the comedy in this movie, but I don't think it's able to keep up its momentum um, through towards the end of the second act and the beginning of the third act. Uh, I, I do love movies that start off as a comedy and become more serious towards the end. We don't see too many of those movies, but certainly La La Land falls into that category. Uh, About the time when Sebastian starts to join the pop jazz band, um, I, I thought... I actually thought the pop band sounded pretty good, although Emma Stone plays... It was plays an amazing it. sequence. Yeah, I thought, it looked, I thought it sounded great as well. I go, that's a cool song. And then just the look Emma Stone was giving was like, like, oh, okay, this isn't a good song. Like, <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, the fact that he's in that kind of Iran, he has to sing Iran, he has to play the guitar and... Oh, well, I was actually thinking um, the the jazz group that he joins, the pop jazz group. Oh, sure. Like yeah, the uh, John Legend group. Yeah, um, I thought that was a fantastic song. <laughs> yeah, and also, I mean, he's playing one-handed with one hand in his pocket, then he's playing two. I know, uh, how pianos. cool is that? <laughs> oh, yeah, it comes off as amazing, yeah. Well, I thought we were talking about the bad stuff, go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought the film, about that point when he joins that pop jazz group and we constantly get the back and forth of him on tour and then her setting up um, for the play, I just thought they could have lost uh, a bit there maybe shaved off about 10 minutes of the film somewhere there and I thought there was some some of the editing choices of the coverage I thought was a bit poor like during the breakup scene when Sebastian Ryan Gosling gives Mia that surprise dinner before he goes back on tour they have that harsh harsh conversation about Sebastian's decision to stay with the band I thought the cutting there was just back and forth I thought it could have just you know stayed on maybe a longer shot uh, and then a cut when the dramatic lines happen rather than just do a basic back and forth cutting Uh, I I just think when you have high caliber actors like Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling and if you are making a film 
based on a musical from the 40s, uh, employing some older techniques, I think would have been uh, greatly amplified. And also the the kiss at the Griffith Observatory, I think that's when they kiss for the first time. Yeah, I thought it was really underwhelming. Like they had that great moment where they start floating amidst the stars and then it just, climb the climax of that scene, they just drift towards the seats and then they just kiss. I just thought it needed a bit more um, grandness to it. I guess I, I, it, it was intimate, definitely, but just with what it was projecting. But that, those are my only faults with the movie, Dave. I, it, it's a really fantastic film. I mean, I really thoroughly enjoyed it, and two hours flew by for me. I'll tell you my little pet peeves, and they're small. I, I realise some of these are petty, but I'll just mention them really quickly. Everybody wears generic plain clothes, you know, so they, they're no particular time period. You know, nobody wears a T-shirt with a slogan or anything that will date because that's how they did it back in the day, you know. When all four girls were walking down the street, I leaned over to Tess and I said, they're dressed like the Wiggles. (laughs) You know, each one in a solid color dress and stuff. That sequence you mentioned at the Griffith Observatory where they're floating and the kiss was underwhelming for you. The only thing I could compare that scene to was in Anchorman, the sequence where they have sex and it's Help Yourself plays by Tom Jones. And they're, fly- they're flying with the unicorn and everything. <laughs> is that a rainbow doomy on it? Is that the one? <laughs> <laughs> That's the one. And I, I couldn't stop sort of smiling throughout that sequence because I was thinking of that scene. And I realized it's a childish, like, uh, comparison. Because, as I said, they captured a feeling there, you know? I loved the fact that there's this Hollywood thing of, like, all the similar-looking girls in um, the casting rooms how everybody looks like a sort of a more pretty version of the next girl next to them and they're all dressed the same because some casting agent said, you know, you all need to be wearing jeans and a black T-shirt and grease up your hair or whatever it is. And so they all look identical, you know. I would hate to be a casting agent. I just feel like... (laughs) Isn't casting that whole process awful? Yeah. It's just such an awful process. But it's handled with such comedy here that it's fun, you know. That first time the famous actress comes in and, you know, she's on the Warner Brothers lot and uh, she's like this goddess. She just kind of hovers into the room and I I loved how that book ended the film. As far as, like, you mentioned editing annoyed you, uh, there was one sequence that was too much for me in terms of uh, the dizzying uh, camera work, which I didn't think fit as well with the rest of the film. And that was the pool sequence where the camera goes underwater is fine uh, but then it spins 360. Y- yeah, yeah, and I mean, we need we see nothing. We see nobody. It's a dizzying insanity, and I, I felt as if like the camera was trying to shake excess water off it. It was spinning so fast that for me, I felt like would have been the sequence that other people said, "Well, we don't have enough coverage on this," or "I'm not sure about this." You know, that felt like the scene that they would have cut if somebody else was editing the film. Or the you know the studio would have questioned leaving in, and for me that that stood out as the one point where I was taken out of the film really as well. Everybody was frozen in that kind of party sequence, which I mean I, I get it that's surreal. You know they can fly at times, but some people were standing still and other people were moving slowly, which didn't quite gel for me. I thought it should have been one or the other, like it's a dreamlike state that you're walking through a frozen party or everybody's in slow motion except you, but it was both which didn't, you know, it just stood out. I guess you could argue that everyone who was standing still was just staring across the room or or whatever, but um, the jazz stuff I found fantastic. The fact that it had jazz in it. And how passionately he talks about the history of it. Yeah, I mean, think about it this way. 
Ryan Gosling's character, Sebastian, whose name I missed the first time. So when later on she was saying Sebs, I was like, is his name Sebastian? Like, <laughs> I did not think about his name at all because there's that scene where he meets her at the, the party dressed as his 80s fireman. She says her name is Mia, but he doesn't offer his name at that point. I just missed it. I just missed the scene. It was probably where his sister was talking and uh, she probably says, Sebastian, you can't keep living like this or something. And I just missed it. If I told you Miles David's Pete, Pete on the rug, would you take it? He goes, oh, very <laughs> funny. Is, is it true? <laughs> is it true? <laughs> Does she like jazz? No. Then what are we going to talk about? <laughs> I like how he said, um, you know, life's giving him a tough time, but it's a classic rope-a-dope, you know? I'm going to hit life back. <laughs> the Christmas carols that he has to play was hilarious. Uh, I realise it's Christmas and whatever in the, in the context of the and movie. And a great cameo in that role by uh, the Oscar winner from... J.K. Uh, Simmons. Yeah, from the previous film by uh, Damien Chazelle, Whiplash. Whiplash, yeah. Which was calling in a favour because it's like if a director gets you an Oscar, you cameo in his next movie. <laughs> yeah, and I love it how he had that small moment where he got to dance. <laughs> even end, for a yeah. fragment. <laughs> oh, it was hilarious Like, because um, he looks like he's going to stop them and then he's just like, eh, eh dance. <laughs> In life, I kind of was thinking about it. In life, there are going to be people that want you to play the set list of music and not go off and do your own thing, you know, not play jazz, if you will. And you can either conform and do what you're told or you can, you know, try your own thing and break the mold. So just the fact that jazz, what it is, is an evolving musical form uh, when you're playing jazz, as he was saying, sometimes the trumpeter takes over, then this guy's trying to steal the song, and then the you know, now the guy on the piano, and like it it's not ever the same twice and it's exciting, right? It's kind of a big metaphor for life, isn't it? What we're watching. So jazz, for me, it was fantastic to see it as a part of the film and it really tied in with the theme of what they were trying to do. It was a real you only live once kind of uh this is our life, and as he says, you know, when you get this you got to go for it. you got to put everything into it because it's your dream, you know? And they're the dreamers, which is in lots of songs throughout the thing. Did you think about getting the soundtrack for this? No. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I mean, I considered it, but we just watched Trolls with the kids. And so now currently we have the Trolls soundtrack uh, playing on a fairly repetitive loop. <laughs> well, I, I just can't take away the imagery associated with the songs. Like, I, I I see the appeal of having the soundtrack and listening to it and then you're reminded of the images from the film. But the dance sequences in this film are so beautifully and gracefully done, I have to have the Blu-ray of this and see it both put together. So the soundtrack was great, but it doesn't make me want to get it. It just makes me want to get the whole movie and watch it again. Yeah, I mean, I feel like anybody who gets dragged to this film is going to be glad they were dragged yeah. to this film. Isn't that strange? Like, this feels like the film that word of mouth will make it the film of the year. This feels like the film that people are going to say, oh my God, you've got to see La La Land. You've got to see it in, in the cinemas, you know? Did you find the cinemascope distracting or did you enjoy it as an experience? The, the director, Damien Chazelle, shot this with DOP Linus Sandgren on 35 mil, so it's not digital. And he actually shot uh, Whiplash in digital, which is interesting. And the the kid, th this guy, he... He, he was a drummer, like a prodigy drummer, um, saw he couldn't make it the whole way um, or, or he was, like, good enough. He could have gone um, further with his career, sorry. And then he decided to go and follow his first love, filmmaking, 
and he makes uh, he's you know writing scripts and whatever at a professional level gets to make Whiplash, which gets all these Academy Award wins, and then he gets to make this film La La Land. He gives me the impression that he's been making movies for eighty years, and he's only thirty one years old, and I hate yeah. him. <laughs> His favourite movie, he said, was The Umbrellas of Sherbrooke, a French musical that came out in 1964, directed by Jacques Demy. Uh, I haven't seen it um, myself, but with his DOP, um, he uses a lot of old Hollywood techniques and I love the dimming of the lights in the background and just having the one light on the subject. Um, it's such a old Hollywood technique, but it was so great to see it at such great effect, especially considering it's 2016 um, in the midst of all these great epic um, special effects movies. You know, it's like the old old techniques of Hollywood are still very, very relevant. And that epic scope that he shot this on, on that 255 wide anamorphic um, lens, you got to see this movie on the biggest screen possible. Like I, I was, Hoyt's at Belcon and didn't have this on the extreme screen, so I was really disappointed. Like at the end of it, I was like, ah, oh, it would have been better to see it on the biggest screen possible. And on top of that, the scene where he comes to the theater and comes late, and Mia's really upset because no one showed up to a play. The lights came on. And I thought it was about the movie was about to end. I go, wow, this is a real downer. And um, I was going, no, surely the movie can't be ending. So we're, the audience is just sitting there. Everyone could see each other. And it was, oh, it just took away from the movie. So finally somebody got up and then told them, oh, the lights are on and it came Twice. back off. Sorry? Twice during the movie that happened. Oh, no, just, just once, but for a long period of time. Oh. Uh. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, so it just really ruined the, a lot of the magic of La La Land. So good one, Hoyt. <laughs> I did find it a bit jarring when John Legend turned up, just because I'd forgotten he was in the film. And so when he was there, I was like, oh, yeah, there are other characters, because it was so, uh, I guess, introverted, and it was just about their relationship for so long. Um, and it felt very personal with the two of them. But then he pops in, and I'm like, oh, is he about to be the villain of this piece, you know? I found the conflict probably the only thing uh, which I thought was the most unrealistic sort of story point, which was when he has to do a photography session instead of going to her one-woman play. Just bite your lower lip, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and play something. <laughs> but couldn't they have done that another time? Wouldn't he have talked to the band about the fact that he had the one-woman show that night? Couldn't he have said, could you do us a favour, can we do this another time, or can we do two and I'll join the other, I'll do whatever you want, you know? I felt like he should have made some excuse. Also, he wasn't vocal about it. You know, he just submitted to his band. I know he signed a contract, but um, you know, it felt like the most unbelievable sort of character moment for me. And as I said, I enjoyed the film. These are very petty, tiny grievances. <laughs> I love all the sm the little moments in this film. I think it, it's just one of those things that makes this film magical, just elevates it to that level. I, I love it how Sebastian lies about where he parked his car um, after yeah. that pretty cool um, tap dancing sequence on that, you know, they must have shot that magic hour or something. It looked really spectacular, just the sky and the city of Los Angeles in the background. And it actually shows him walking back to his car, which was parked at the front of the house. I thought that was really cool. And I love that moment where he can hear Mia talk to her mother on the phone and he can hear her say, oh, he doesn't have a steady job. No, he's a musician. And he's, she's trying to defend him, not, not, not attacking him or anything. Uh, but then he uh, looks at the mould on his ceiling and that's like the catalyst for him to join 
the band, that pop pop band. Like, he's not really selling his soul or anything, but he's doing something that's going to get him further away from his initial dream of opening up that jazz um, bar that he wants to. But that just those small little moments, those little details, I just think makes um, you know Chazelle a really, really fine director. I liked how everybody had a Prius and the difference between their two cars starting up, how hers was whisper quiet and... His was obviously a real car. Yeah, that was great. (laughs) Do you think they regretted or considered changing the line, George Michael? She yells out George Michael. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, You know, when he gets the keys for it, George Michael and uh, the timing. No no one saw that coming. I mean, obviously they couldn't change it. It's the day he, he passed away on Christmas. The film's out Boxing Day in Australia and possibly slightly earlier in the States. Yeah, really unfortunate timing. Uh, And I wonder if that sort of took people out of the film as well. I mean, I noticed it, but it's easy enough to know that I focus on it for too long. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it'll hurt the film. It's, yeah. it's just one of those unlucky moments. Did you get a chance to watch Whiplash? I haven't seen it yet, no. It's a really incredible film. It shows so much talent. Um, I, I highly recommend you check it out. It says uh, Chazelle described it's a, it's a sports movie but with drums. <laughs> but okay. um, it got an Academy Award nomination for... Oh, sorry, Academy Award winner for J.K. Simmons. So he, he does an amazing performance in that film as Terence Fletcher, the teacher. Have you um, heard of this new film? It's uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears, but from the point of view of the bears, probably going to be a franchise. That's what, that's what the writer says in La La Land. <laughs> he's pitching dumb ideas to people and he's at the party and that's what he pitches. And also there's Dangerous Minds versus the OC that she's trying out for as well. Everything in Hollywood has to be something meets something, you know? It's the way they describe all their films. So much of it felt very true, true to the landscape of Hollywood, the auditions to, um, you know, the the party scenes and I guess even the Warner Brothers set, you know, that they walk around. Um, yeah, well, I thought this was also a love letter to Los Angeles as well. Like, it it, it has so much nostalgia, obviously, for Hollywood and the, the old movies with lots of references to Casablanca especially and, and the filmmaking techniques of the movie of that period. Los Angeles looks so fantastic. Just just everything about it. Just that little little moment where Ryan Gosling's walking on the um, dock and he starts dancing with that lady. Um, just just um, they they shot it at the perfect time. You know they really wanted to illustrate all the aspects. Even the freeway looks pretty good <laughs> in Los Angeles. You know just a really uh, good looking place. And if if people who live in Los Angeles who have been there like they can watch this film and be heavily romanticized by uh, the city exactly and i think that obviously la is another character it's cliched to say but another character in the film and they showcase all these great little spots and there's like a montage of them running around in love and they go to all these iconic places and she walks past that iconic graffiti with Marilyn monroe and james dean and they watch rebel without a cause at the cinema which closes down which they had to reopen for this film And the projector burns through the film, you know, because it's real film. And obviously the Griffith Observatory, which they had to recreate apparently, and they bought that piece that was in the middle off eBay, which is great. (laughs) How was your audience uh, when you saw this? Oh, so many old women. Oh, really? It felt like for some reason it was a big group of seniors. I don't know why, but everyone enjoyed it. Everyone seemed generally impressed. Uh, A lot of people sat through the music at the end in the credits, and it was just kind of a nice feel-good movie 
Yeah, I had a, two pretty large group of guys sitting around me. There definitely were girls in the movies I could hear, movie theatre I could hear them, but I didn't see them. And they were talking all throughout the preview and I'm just like, oh gosh, I hope they're not like this when the movie starts. Uh, they, they, surely they got to know what kind of movie this is. And the moment it began, they were hooked. They laughed at all the moments. They thought it was hilarious and they stuck by the whole film. It, it was, um, It really got to them. The honking of the car, which he repeats through the movie, was so funny and how he's shaking his head. I didn't know if she flipped him off from her point of view, you know, um, when he was first honking and we're sitting in her car. But then when we see it from his side, she flips him off. And then I thought we were going to get different perspectives the whole movie. Like, you know, this is what he saw, this is what she saw, which is like the Showtime program I really like, The Affair, uh, where you get different people's memories of the same scenes. It was interesting to have that first overlap where she comes into the club and we we get the lead up from her point of view and the lead up from his. And I guess it was as well an interesting choice to have the four seasons of the year and then jump five years at the end, Lloyd. Yeah. Bloody uh, people who live in Los Angeles, they just get perfect weather all throughout the year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was like, winter, okay. (laughs) (laughs) There is a sequence where. Emma Stone's character Mia gives up the dream and she says, I'm, it's over, I'm going home, you know, and he has to come find her and beeps the horn to um, get her to go to an audition, you know, and he knows where she is because it's across the road from the library, so he's close enough. And when he's telling her, you know, you're good and everything in that scene, it reminded me so much of the Ryan Gosling scene with Rachel McAdams in The Notebook where he's saying, what do you want? Forget about what everyone else is saying. What do you want? You know, where she's, he's trying to get this most indecisive woman to choose between him and another man, basically. It was very same tone acting, which just, it just reminded me of that. How much uh, of a piano do you reckon Ryan Gosling learned for this film? Heaps, all of it. Wow. Yeah, he did it all. I feel like it's almost worth giving him a uh, an Oscar nod for best actor, just purely because of how much he's done for the film. Yeah, well, I hear so much of Emma Stone, um, how much award she's up for. I, I haven't heard much of Ryan Gosling, though, and I thought he was amazing in this. I mean, she steals the show with that uh, Dreamers song, though, in her audition, doesn't she? Uh, at the very end, where they seek her out and they want to find her because of her one-woman show and, um, you know, she performs that song that she just does on the spot. About that song, <laughs> this might be an unpopular thing to say. But it really reminded me of Rainbow Connection, you know, the Kermit the Frog Muppets song. No, I don't know. <laughs> uh, it, it's sort of like, here's to the ones that dream, foolish as this may seem. And then you could click into, I'd like to find it, the Rainbow Connection. <laughs> and then he says, the lovers, the dreamers and me. And it's Kermit the Frog. And I just couldn't not have the two playing next to each other in my mind. People that know the song Rainbow Connection, it's a classic Muppets song, and I think it probably had a similar beat or um, at least similar inspiration keys. as well. Maybe, maybe, um, but yeah, Rainbow Connection. That's all I could think about in that in that scene. Let's talk about the ending, Lloyd. Let's jump into it. It was a what if moment in time. <laughs> yeah, when she sits down at the bar and painfully watches Sebastian play the piano. Then it flashes to that dance sequence of the life that could have been. It gave me chills. I was so hooked onto every aspect of that moment. Uh, 
it really got to me. Every bit of the heartache and longing Sebastian had for her. Uh, this is just what musicals can do. This is what they're capable of. Uh, because it's so much of an expression, like it externalizes everything that's within the character of Sebastian and whether it's in the set piece, how over the top it is or the choreography of all the dancers around them, the, that whole moment you just understand everything that Sebastian, that has gone through Sebastian's mind for those five years. And then to have that beautiful moment where he's just playing the remainder of that song must have been a pretty sad song for the for that crowd. <laughs> I don't know how long they were listening to it. Obviously, it could have been a few se- a f- few minor seconds, but it was just an eternity at that moment to pr- in play. The word, in the words of Sebastian, will they like it? Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> But again, that technique they employed just before that sequence starts where the dimming of the lights all around, we just see Emma Stone sitting at the, uh, at the bar is just magical. I'm not sure, did he drop the drumsticks? No, I don't think anyone was eating drumsticks at all, were they? I don't remember the chicken at all. <laughs> chicken drumsticks, yeah. I think he dropped it, but uh, it was just so beautiful. Uh, I, I want to watch the whole movie again just for that moment. <laughs> That's a real compliment. Um, yeah, the spotlight stuff was good. I read one review on IMDb where they were saying, yeah, they overused that technique no, where they put spotlights. Come on. It was fine. It was perfect. For me as well, throughout that sequence, like they spot each other, you know, it's Casablanca-esque in a way. It's it's not Rick's, it's Seb's, you know. All the gin joints in all the world. She had to yeah, walk into mine. Well, she's drawn in by the jazz, which she loves now, remember, because of him. But as well, like when you see her, she has a husband, she has a daughter, you're wondering what's happened to him. We see him cooking for one over a stove, (laughs) you know, he hasn't moved on. Now he's such a passionate guy. I know at the beginning of this film, he doesn't want a girlfriend and then he meets Mia and he's obviously smitten because of the car thing. He walks around with her, everything like that. He doesn't want a girlfriend, but then five years passes he still doesn't want a girlfriend? Are you telling me that the guy who was in that band with John Legend, he didn't cheat on her, obviously, you know, he didn't run off with some floozy. You know, I wanted to see scenes where groupies were attempting to talk to him and he was realising how special Mia was because of how not special these girls were. Or in the time since, you know, it's five years later, surely there's some girls who want to be with him based on the fact that he's such a passionate guy that owns a club in LA, you know. That and he it, looks like Ryan Gosling. <laughs> and he looks like Ryan Gosling, I guess, yeah. He um, couldn't make it uh, a meter past his house without somebody going, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that whole, like, you know, what if lifetime in a moment, it just is so relatable because everyone can say, oh, what if I'd dated this girl or this guy or what if I'd been to Europe or what if I took that trip or what if uh, somebody didn't get sick and I you know there's so many what ifs and the, the amount of corners and things it turns in your life that gets you to this moment. Yeah, well, one of the greatest moments in all of cinema is from Citizen Kane when that guy gives the monologue about the girl in the white dress and she was getting on the ferry and he was getting off and then he goes, not a day has gone by where I haven't thought about that girl. Um, and it's a metaphor for like, what if this happened? What if that happened? Happiness has always been a, a, an arm reach away, but for whatever reason, you just couldn't reach out and take it sometimes. And uh, all externalized in those last moments of La La Land. <laughs> I mean, did you want them to be together? No, you... th- no, I, I, I pr- 
this ending is so perfect for me. Again, that little lull in in the middle, I, I'll forgive everything that happened before in this film. And it wasn't much I had issues with. Again, I want to emphasize that, that my issues with the film were pretty minor, but that ending was so beautifully done. And just the way how the whole film builds up to that moment is is yeah. terrific. Yeah, agreed. And look, it's it's hard not to imagine, as I said, it winning Best Picture because it's such a feel-good movie. And everybody walks out of it going, yeah, that's great. I, like, when you brought this movie up, I thought it was going to be Oscar bait. Yeah. Uh, one of those Oscar bait type films. I, I think Chicago can go down as one where the people look back and go, okay, it wasn't that great, but it just, wow, a musical, you know, and everyone got so hyped about it and wins all these awards. Um, I don't think La La Land's in the same. It, it, it's a very good movie, so I don't think we can treat it the same as Chicago. It's it's actually good. <laughs> it's just come around at that time of Oscar bait season. Again, I hope this gets a wider release, man. It's just, yeah. Oh, it'll be fine. Don't worry. Word of mouth will keep this in cinemas for a long time. I was going to say, for those people who like the old school Hollywood of this film, you know, who want to see that kind of, uh, that era of Hollywood, should see the Coen Brothers' Hail Caesar with George Clooney. It's another kind of offbeat, quirky kind of Hollywood thing. But for the people who watched this and enjoyed the um, original soundtrack and the kind of struggling musician of it all, they should watch Begin Again uh, with Keira Knightley and Mark Ruffalo. Both those films would complement elements of La La Land, I think, uh, if I can just put out a recommendation for people there. Or just watch La La Land over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as you say, um, the people who get dragged to see this um, by their girlfriends or whatever, that you, you're, you're in for a real treat because this is a very, very well done movie. Well, if they don't like it, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> Which I feel like would have been the mantra on set. You know, can you imagine the director going, we're going to frame it like this. And they're like, whoa, I don't know about that. And he's like, fuck them. <laughs> you know, they're doing it for themselves. I feel like the the set would have had this kind of great unity in what they were doing. I mean, they would have sat around as a group, a cast and crew and watched these old movies and got really excited by them. You know, you'd have had to drag them away from singing in the rain to do their dance sequence. For me, this was a lot of fun. And I think... The movie sinks or swims on their chemistry, and I think probably based on the fact they've worked together before, they knew each other before, uh, they do really well here. And uh, if people don't watch it for Ryan Gosling, they're watching it for Emma Stone, and if they're not watching it for that, they're watching it for the dancing, and there's lots to like. Are you a fan of musicals yourself? Like, I, I remember really liking Rock of Ages, which obviously wasn't the greatest film, but I had a lot of nostalgia for the fact that I'd seen it on Broadway yeah. and really enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I don't dislike musicals. As I said, Begin Again is a really good one. Once, this kind of busker film that took Best Original uh, Song at the Oscars. I, I guess I have a place for musicals. What about Team America? I mean, who doesn't like Team America? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. And uh, the only thing I dislike about it is the amount of puke that that doll pukes. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think on. it's a great genre. I just haven't really looked into. I did kind of grow up with it because my mum loved, I think all mothers loved it, but the sound of music. Um, but the one that really got to me was Singing in the Rain. I could watch that over and over again. But generally most musicals I tend to tune out. Um, just too much dancing, too much singing. And I do know the genre still has its 
a fervent um, uh, appetite with modern audiences of today because, as I said in our Pitch Perfect 2 podcast, so many people have grown up with High School Musical and Pitch Perfect and Hannah Montana. So the desire and appetite to see musicals is definitely there. But I do think La La Land is the first of our generation aside from Team America and everything like that, because that really appeals to a different kind of audience, you know what I mean? La La Land is really the first of our generation of musicals to be a real world-class. We're talking almost singing on the rain, singing in the rain level. I don't think it's anywhere near as good as singing in the rain. I just want to make that clear, but it is a very, very well-crafted movie. And if you are a fan of Hannah Montana, sorry, if you did grow up with Hannah Montana and High School Musical, La La Land is one of the next best things you can watch. Well, hopefully the people that grew up on La on uh, High School Musical and stuff are at an age now yeah. where La La Land is good for them. Absolutely. You know? Look, I think this is a worry for Damien Chazelle. Um, where can he go? You... <laughs> I can only go <laughs> down from here. <laughs> true, true. I mean, I don't know. Uh, I mean, all I see is the producers saying, all right, we'll give us another La La Land next year. You know, like, what do they want from him now? He's got to do something musical. I heard he's doing a biographical film on Neil Armstrong, the astronaut, but I don't know where that is in development. See, I mean, if you're if you're in the meeting with him, it's called First Man. It's in pre-production. I look at the life of astronaut Neil Armstrong and the legendary space mission that led him to become the first man to walk on the moon based on the book First Man, The Life of Neil Armstrong. So Ryan Gosling's attached to that at the moment. I guess, um, you know, much like Scorsese, when you find someone you like, you continue to work with them. I mean, people want him to do a musical now. This is going to be his bread and butter. Well, yeah, I think the cards are in his hand, especially with how award season's going to go. I think he's got a lot of cards he can play in his hand and the, the demand for him to do a musical will be there, but I just think he's got enough power to go, no, this is what I'm doing. <laughs> just on the best film of the year, I'm just remembering that The Revenant was last January. So I guess we could count that in this calendar year as well. I'll have to really think about it because I, I, I still put Spotlight up there, but as you say, it's 2015, so I'm like, oh, now I totally have to rethink what's the best film I've reviewed or seen on 2016. Well, follow Lloyd on Twitter and he'll probably <laughs> tweet it, guys, because it's, um, it's now you know about to be 2017. We'd like to thank everybody who's been listening to Podme, if you can. Uh, thanks to those who checked out Rogue One last week, you know, and checked out the film and checked out our review. Obviously, it's a very divisive film, not like La La Land. You know, it's been a lot of fun providing content for the podcast. And um, obviously, we've also branched out into videos in the last couple of years. And uh, we've got quite a few more for 2017. Uh, we're going to attempt to do a video a week. So check out and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find the link at podmeifyoucan.com. As well, I'm hoping to bring you several interviews with interesting people overseas. I'm going to aim for international interviews in 2017. And I kind of have this idea to get between 6 and 12 interviews. So, I mean, ultimately, maybe one a month. But um, that really depends on who I can get and availability and uh, time difference. If you guys want to come on the show, let us know. Um, If you've got a movie that you're making wanting to get some publicity, let us know and we'll see if we can get you on. Yeah, that's right. We have actually spoken to several filmmakers for that exact reason. And hopefully the timing of their releases, uh, we can have a chat to them about their experience and um, highlight a few local Australian productions like we did this year. 
So Lloyd, uh, still enjoying doing a podcast? Should we continue Pod Me if you can? Absolutely. Great. Well, next time on the show, we're going to talk about Ben Affleck's latest film, Live By Night. It's not Live By Night, Lloyd. I'm pretty sure it's Live By Night. <laughs> <laughs> that English language. <laughs> Everything's just spelt the same. But uh, it's about Prohibition. It's out January 7th in Australia, and it may already be out in the States uh, and overseas. Uh, ben Affleck's obviously had a lot of fun directing. I mean, um, you know, Argo won him Best Director. And uh, despite the fact that he has a Batman movie coming out that he's directing, he's had time to do this one, Live By Night. So we're going to be continuing his career and directing and acting. And um, gosh, what else is coming up in 2017, Lloyd? What are you hyped for? Oh, probably the next Star Wars film, obviously, at the end of the year. I'm just really curious to see what that director brings to the film. I think he's an absolute talent. He did Looper. Ryan Johnson, yeah. He did Looper and um, Brick, I think. Um, is that Correct. Brick? Yep. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, Brick, it's I'll, just Brick. Yeah. Just Brick, yeah. I love that brick film. Brick sounds that, very different. <laughs> <laughs> that high school um, noir sort of film was just brilliant, and Looper was fantastic. So I, I, I just hope um, the producers give him room to breathe with uh, episode eight and you know we get almost an empire-esque but sorry yeah um uh what is it the empire strikes back-esque type of movie yeah like a yeah you know that middle of a trilogy type of film yeah yeah i'm just hoping for that and everybody uh, says it's darker everybody (laughs) says it's got to be better man somebody's gonna die (laughs) well what's the biggest film you're looking forward to next year i mean it's hard to pass up star wars isn't it But um, as well, we've got in March to look forward to uh, Hugh Jackman's final outing as Wolverine in Logan. So, uh, you know, there's that one. Is it Infinity Wars next year as well? I think it's not. Okay. (laughs) I think it's 2018. But Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, uh, we get The Fate of the Furious, which is the eighth Fast and the Furious film. I saw the trailer for that. I thought it looked amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as well, we'll... um, We'll probably cover something like Baywatch, maybe uh, Wonder Woman. There's a new Spider-Man film, uh, Power Rangers, if you dare go there, Lloyd. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure as well we'll look at Scorsese's Silence and uh, we might try and do Hacksaw Ridge as well, which is something we've just missed this year. Uh, It's been busy, you know. Oh, absolutely. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. You can listen to our back catalogue at podmeifyoucan.com. Have a great 2017 and uh, we'll talk to you then. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod me if you can. Movie reviews. 